Hey gang, uh, we're on Meridian. We're in the heart of downtown Puyallup and we're at our new place. This is our new home. It's a place to belong. It's called the Station House. Bethany Walters. I'm Colton. All right, my name's Nick. I'm Casey. Hey, my name's Robert. <laughs> All right. Um, hi, my name's Kat. When I first moved here, I didn't um, know anyone. I was having a hard time finding a place to live. And so everything in my life was kind of unsettled. I felt lonely, um, uh, didn't have any guidance, didn't know what to do with my life, had to start over from everything I knew. I don't think I'd ever felt more alone. And I didn't think we were gonna make it. And then this people from Whitewater showed up. I don't even know how they heard about us or what we were doing, but they said, we love youth and we wanna help. saw a sign for Whitewater Church. Um, so we went to church and I was astounded. I didn't feel any judgment. Just rolling upon this uh, park and there's this event going on. There's a band playing and everything. It's just kind of amazing, this music. just Something just kind of told me to stop. So I stopped and listened to the band. I uh, met Michael and Kenny Rabb. Uh, just hit it off with them. And we instantly knew we had made friends and, and felt loved just right off the bat and they introduced us to Whitewater. It was just kind of crazy how things happened but just getting in and becoming part of the team and serving has kind of flipped my whole idea on religion. Everybody's got the same you know inner closet and they've got the same stuff hanging so I, I feel Whitewater is a team who's trying to clean that all out together. I came to Whitewater for the first time and I it was it was home and I I am not alone. It's a very easy place to belong. Uh, I just It feels good to have a second chance at life and um, I couldn't imagine doing it with, without the people here at Whitewater. So. We've grown and learned so much. It's just unbelievable. I'm a completely different person than I was a year ago. Wow. Um, welcome to Whitewater. It's a place you can belong before you believe. I might be an optimist, but, um, but Jesus, uh, it says in the Bible, he, he, um, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. 
It was for the joy of eternity with people who are moving with God and for God that, that he endured hardship. And I think a lot of us go through hardship, but for people who follow Jesus, there's joy in the future. And I, I, think, the, I think the future of the church is beautiful. I think the future of um, the church in the world bringing beauty is going to be incredible. The church is, does not exist for itself. The church of Jesus Christ, anybody who follows Jesus would claim to know and love Jesus. It does not exist for itself. The church exists for Jesus and we are sent into the world to be like Jesus. Amen. And God wants to release the reservoir of the heart sitting in these seats. He wants to release that, re- that reservoir into a river of blessing into our community. That's why we exist, friends. And that's what God has been doing in this building and through this building. It's never been about a building. It's about the people. Did you know that? And, uh, I, and I'm just so grateful that I, this building has been a tool that God has used. My son only knows this building as, you know, as Whitewater, and he loves coming to church. My daughter loves this place. Um, but we get to move to a new chapter, and the best is yet to come. It's yet to come. And I want to see more stories of transformation, more belonging that becomes believing, that becomes followers, disciples of Jesus. And, um, well... As I, when I watch those videos, it makes me emotional thinking of all the things that have happened here. Uh, um, we've had in this building, God has used this season to see more than 300 people make decisions for Christ. Isn't that amazing? In that four, four and a half years we've been here, we're going on five in, in this season, in this building, we've seen um, about 100 people baptized go public with their faith in this building. You guys, um, the best is yet to come. We're gonna be moving to a new place uh, with, a, with a group of people, like the, the ones who own, own the building, that are building it currently. Um, it's called Step by Step. They have an amazing mission where they help vulnerable uh, women and families, and re- they're restorative. And, uh, and I wanna be a, a church that's a blessing to them. And also, friends, there are people that don't yet know Jesus, don't yet know about our church, that God wants to use us as a blessing, and they're going to be part of the family in the coming season. And so let's fill that building with people who need to belong. Amen? Let me pray and and ask God to, to use this season. Next week, we're starting in that new place, and I'm so excited. So let me just pray for that. Heavenly Father, we love you, we trust you. You've led us through every stage of our church, Lord, when it just started as a dream in the hearts of some people, when it just was in a home, when it was in an elementary school, when it was in a high school, when it was in a station house, this Elks Lodge. And Lord, now that we're going to step by step, you've been with us every step. God, I pray for just a harvest of transformation, transform lives. That's why we do this, God. We are the church that gathers and scatters in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If I told you guys that I love you, I love this church, Sarah and I, Sarah's my wife, uh, we're so grateful to serve in this church. And... um, and today I want to talk to you more about calling. Last week we, we, we talked about calling, that every single person is called by God. Before you were born, God had placed a call on your life. Do you believe that? 
um, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, like in the womb, like the, your interior being, your, your gifts, your personality, your talents, your passions were being woven into you. And God wants to use that and the experiences of life, the good, the bad, the ugly experiences, God will redeem those, God will use them. He doesn't waste a single ounce of your life. He will redeem the things that you feel you've lost. Um, that's the kind of God we serve. I think it's best said, like Joseph in the book of Genesis said what was meant for evil, God turned to good. And you and I are called. And so today I wanted to really explore calling. Like how do we, how do we steward the calling? How do we handle calling as a church, as a collective group of people in our families, in our lives, and as we gather to scatter as the church? And so today um, I, I, I wanted to to uh, look at and go through the Bible kind of old school. Um, it's, this is a, there's different teaching styles and I'll kind of use different teaching styles um, based on the passage, the way that the Bible actually is taught, the way, and I know that there's different people that come here with different learning styles. And so we, we try to have multiple ways of teaching the Bible because the Bible is multiple and people are multiple and, and different. And today I'm going to be doing a, a mixture of expository, which is more line by line, with narrative um, teaching. Narrative teaching is takes a thread out of a Bible, um, a, a book of the Bible, and it takes a thread of theology or conviction from the author, and it, and it looks at it kind of in a in a in a story arc. And so today uh, you could probably call this sermon the tale of two callings. We're looking at John the Baptist and Jesus. Does that sound cool? So we're, I'm telling you, we're going to do some Bible today, but I hope that this is transformative. I hope this is helpful for you. We're going to be looking at how uh, Luke, the author of Luke, which is convenient, uh, how he understood calling. And we're going to be basically looking at Jesus and John the Baptist, who were cousins. So um, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus at one point, says, there is the lamb who God has sent to take away the sins of the world. There is the Messiah who's come to, to put this world right. He's the one I came to prepare um, ministry for. In Luke uh, chapter five, it says some people came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist's disciples uh, fast and pray regularly and so the disciples of the Pharisees. But why are your disciples eating and drinking? John's disciples, the Pharisees, even they do like spiritual things like fasting and praying. And your disciples, they're known for like eating and drinking and engaging with, like there's nothing spiritual about you. Like what's the deal? And immediately we see um, that Jesus' ministry is compared to his, co his cousin John's and there's conflict that kind of arises out of that. Let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever experienced conflict or comparison around your calling with family and friends? Have you ever had um, consternation, conflict, comparison with your calling and what you're passionate about or what someone else is passionate about in your family um, around the area of calling? If you just take a moment, I wanna give you a moment just as a church to turn and talk with somebody and just say, hey, here was the pressure point. Here was a little bit of the conflict. Here was a little bit of the comparison around callings. Um, I'll give you 60 seconds. Turn and talk to someone hopefully new. Ready, go. So how many of you guys have had conflict around calling? <laughs> how many have had conflict with family members? How about uh, friends? How about enemies? Enemies here. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand for that. Um, 
yeah, conflict, it's amazing that calling can be so like um, intrinsic to what motivates us and where our passions lie, so central to like our being. It's like, the, it's like our souls are designed for this thing. But, but that, that thing in us that we were created for, that we were born for, can also create some of the greatest tensions in our lives and conflict in relationships. In my family, if we go back a few generations, we go to my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather. We had a lot of men that were like really good um, fixers, problem solvers, and, and they were plumbers. A lot of them were plumbers. We had a whole branch of the family that were plumbers. And they could fix anything, build anything. They're really good with their hands. And my grandpa, George, he's the first of the three of us. Um, we, yeah, that's right. OG. Um, Wes calls him Big Papa. Big Papa. He sits on his lap, Big Papa. And uh, my grandpa, George, um, he, he was like, I was like the black sheep of the family. I was terrible at like figuring how to build things out. He's like, I couldn't, I couldn't build things. My whole family could, you know, they started building things when they were little boys. And he's like, I was horrible at it. And he's like, I was born into a Welsh family. I was born left-handed, which is bad in the Welsh family. And so they tied his left hand behind his back and made him learn how to write right-handed. He's like, I already had five thumbs or 10 thumbs for, for my, my hands. I, was already, I already struggled. He was dyslexic. I wasn't allowed to use my left hand. I was, he was like, I was so awkward, uncoordinated, and terrible. I would frustrate my dad, and he'd be asking for like, go get me the whoozy what's it and the thingamajig, and I'm like, didn't know what to do. George, get it now! And just like, I would frustrate everyone, and I was, I was frustrated and never felt good enough. I didn't feel like I, I would ever measure up in his family because of the calling. And the gifts he had were very relational. He felt God's call in his life toward becoming a minister or pastor. And, and when he became a pastor, his family members were like, why would you become a pastor? You're going to be a social pariah. You're going to be poor. You know, um, and, and that was his calling. He always felt less than in his family. Then when he had kids, he had two sons, uh, George and Kurt. Um, my, my dad um, got into the into ministry and pastoral work and was gifted similarly. But my uncle, Kurt, was gifted more like the plumbers in the family. And he became a carpenter and he could build anything. He works for the city of L.A. He's amazing with stuff. He can just see something and, and build it and make it happen. But it, it was interesting and the dynamic flipped. And there were as we've looked back on things, there were seasons where my uncle, uncle felt like he didn't measure up because he was more on the plumber side, not the pastoral side. And isn't that interesting in the family where my grandpa felt like he was the odd man out, my uncle felt like he was the odd man out. So this generational tension around callings. So how do we work through the conflict of calling toward collaboration? How does Jesus teach us to do that? So I'd like to start, um, and, I, and we're going to do some Bible today, okay? So I really want to look at this narrative thread. So let's go through some Bible, and then I'm going to give you some, what I think are some very practical insights, and then a story. So here we go. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, it starts with John the Baptist. The, he's Jesus' cousin. Um, he was known as John the Baptist because he baptized people. And uh, let's start with his calling. It says, the angel came to Zechariah, his father, and says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Zechariah and his wife couldn't get pregnant. They couldn't have a baby. They're physically unable to do that. But God hears their prayer, and he says, your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to give you 
a child and you're going to have a son. You will uh, have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will uh, be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. Some of you guys are like, what? And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys are like, what? And even before his, even before his birth, he'll be filled with God's Spirit. And in this narrative, you see, again, the theology, the conviction, the reality that before you and I are born, God has given us a calling. He has created us for a purpose. In a world that says we're random bits of particles floating that have come together, we live and we die and that's it. The, the narrative of the scriptures, the narrative that Jesus taught is that we are not random particles, but we are people with a purpose, designed and created by God. Um, It goes on to say in verse 16, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. The children of Israel, God's people, have wandered in many ways and he's calling them back to God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, a famous uh, spiritual leader in the life of Israel. He'll be prepare, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He's a preparer. He's getting people ready. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And this is like an, a metaphor, like we're seeing that John is gonna be part of, of dynamically changing the life of his parents and turning them, it, it, helping transform their lives. And that image becomes a metaphor for all of Israel that like his ministry is gonna be about turning the hearts of fathers and mothers back to their children and realizing there's an original call of blessing on every child, every unborn child, every person who exists. I think that's amazing. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now let's move to Jesus. When Jesus in this narrative, uh, he is uh, not even born yet. It starts in verse 30. Then the angel told Mary, Jesus' mother, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. This is miraculous. This is the virgin uh, birth and the virgin conception. And you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the most high God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, the throne of Israel, the throne of, like, of the history of God's people. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, God's people. He'll reign over that house forever and ever. His kingdom will have no end. The king of kings, the king has come and he's going to be born and he's going to be, he's going to be a little baby and he's going to go, he's going to be a real person, flesh and blood. And, and there's part of Luke's theology that's just like, it's so real. People like to kind of separate the Bible into kind of like this theological abstraction and the Bible always, it pulls it back and resists that and says, no, God is a God of flesh and blood, like material reality. And there are spiritual realities, but that's put together that, that, that body and spirit are meant to be together. And, and we see that right here in the life of Jesus and even in Jesus calling. And it says in verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Blessed is she, blessed are those, blessed are we who believe in the promises God has given us. We become blessed. You know, our church has had like this glut of babies born. 
Like our nursery is filled, our young, our toddlers is filled with all these kids. Like you guys are a fruitful bunch. We got a bunch of kids. We got people that are pregnant right now. Some are pregnant, I can't even talk about it. It's like still probably a secret. So I'm not gonna blow your secret, but it's like a mate. Some of you guys are like looking around. There's a few like who are in their 60s that are like looking at, they're like, is this really what? Um, there's a few people like, no. But there's these pregnancies, and there's some people that are like, I've been praying for a miracle like Elizabeth, that have been aching for that. And God, our, we have a God who's a God of, the mir- of miracles. We've had, our little boy Wes is a miracle baby. We weren't supposed to have another one. And so God is and so good, and he gives these gifts. But I, I, I want to emphasize, do we believe God has called these little children some of them who aren't even born yet, some of them who are in the nursery today, do we believe that God has called them to good works before they were even born? Do you believe it? That's the God we serve. Would you mind just saying to the person next to you, I believe God wants to use your life? Just say it to the person next to you. Say it with conviction. Some of you guys are a little wishy-washy. Some of you are like, I believe God might want to use your life. Hey, if you follow Jesus, one of the things you learn is that he was called before he was born and God has a plan. No matter how old you are, no matter what season of life, God has a call on your life. Amen? Let's keep going into this, this narrative. Luke uh, one. 59 says this, this is John the Baptist calling. When they came to, the, to circumcise the child on the eighth day, as it was in Jewish custom, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father because that's the custom, that's tradition. But his mother stepped up and responded, and she said, no, he will be called John. Like, she wants to follow the letter of the law. Like, this is what Jesus, this is what uh, the angel told us, that we need to name John. And just so you know, like, Zechariah actually doubted the angel that came to tell him he was going to have John the Baptist and this miracle baby. He doubted him, and so the angel made him mute. He couldn't talk for, like, the whole pregnancy. He couldn't talk for, like, uh, what is it, nine months with the pregnancy, if I do my math correctly? So uh, here they are, and then they said to the, she says, no, his name is John. They're going against convention, against custom, and then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. And so they, they motioned to the father to find out what he wanted him to be called because this, the mom couldn't be right, so they ignored the mother. And check out what happens. Um, uh, Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote down his name is, and you can just see, it's like the, the, the first baby reveal, you know. Um, John, do what the woman says. Like, I've already doubted the angel. I'm never going to do that again. I don't know what I'll lose this time. <laughs> and they were all amazed. It's cool that the, we see a, 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 a male and a female leading their family together, not at the expense of each other. Immediately the mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. His mouth is open after nine months and he just praises God. Fear came on all, the, all of those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. Like the whole area uh, w- was alive with, with like this, what's gonna happen? What's going on? This is crazy. Verse 66, it says, all who heard about them took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? Underline that if you have your scripture, if you have your Bible out. What then will this child 
become, for indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Um, I think that's a good question. What will this child become? My son is, even at the age, he's two years old, um, he um, is different than me. He is very orderly. He likes to build things. He, he, we have this little thing, and, and I'll like take things off. At some time. Or he'll actually take the whole thing, and he'll take it like this, and then he'll dump it. All make this huge mess, and then he'll pick each one up. And if you don't know, like these actually like are arranged by shape and number. And he'll put them all back neatly and perfectly. Just take the time, and he'll do that, and he'll put it. And then I'll, sometimes I'll take one off, and I'll put it. I'll be like, Wes, does it go here? No, Dad. No. And he'll put it back, and he'll look at me. And I'll take another one. <laughs> and I'll be like, but this one goes over here. No, Dad. He's already like, no, Dad. No, here here and he's already or organized and so you know some of you guys make sure he's not like 24 and this is like we're amazed by him he's two years old <laughs> not saying he's a genius or anything but you know but he's already so different than me I never would have done that stuff I was you know dreaming and making up stories and playing and in totally different ways than him he's going to be more pro- he's got more plumbing ability and carpenter ability already than his dad and he's already thinking that he shuts the door behind everybody. He'll, so he like wants, I, my wife can't get me to shut the cupboard door, if you know anything about me. And I think it's amazing, but this gives me a little snapshot. Not everything, but a little snapshot in the calling of my son. His, his abilities are already starting to come out. Do you, do you believe that? Their callings are coming out right now. <laughs> my daughter, she loves... Um, art, she loves painting, she'll spend hours on this, and I don't know if she's ever gonna become an amazing artist, but she loves beauty and color, and she's so vibrant, and she, she, you know, she is a little bit more like me in that way, she just loves stories, she's already a really good storyteller, um, and she buys dresses that are like this. It's like she walked out of some you know, picture from the 1960s or something and her mom will take her shopping and her mom's got very different stylistic taste and she's like, Novella, you should get this. And she's like, no, mom, I want that. The brightest, craziest dress. And Sarah's like, okay. But this, I, I don't know what, how this will manifest completely in her, but in her calling, but I know that, that something about appreciation of beauty and transcendence is gonna be part of Novella. It's just part of her. Part of her personality. Do you believe that? I love that question. What will this child become? What if parents, what if we start asking, man, what, is, what, is this, what does God want this child to become? Not what I want them to become. What does God design them to become? What if we became a church that looked around at each other and were like, man, who is that per- who has God created that person to become? Not the like, what you, what if church, a lot of churches can kind of focus on what you shouldn't do and what you shouldn't become. What if we focus more on what you should become than what you shouldn't? What if we focused on what you should do, not just what you shouldn't do with your life? What would shift? Um, I think that's a beautiful thing. So John the Baptist, going back to him, um, 
Let's continue in the, 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 the calling. It says, and you, child, will be call, uh, called the prophet of the Most High. He's going to be a prophet. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. He's preparing for Jesus. That's going to be his job, his calling, his work, what he was born to do. It goes on in verse 80. It says, the child grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So he grew, how many of you guys know that children are designed to grow up? Boys become men. Little girls become women. And he grows up and he lives into his calling. And his calling is to live in the, he's like in the wilderness. He's like this wild guy. He's, he's got like camel fur on him. He's a beast, this beast prophet. And then here's Jesus. It says about Jesus, when he was born, when he was really little, it says that a prophet named Simeon, uh, we've got a little boy named Simeon in our church. And uh, his parents are amazing. Um, Joel and Heather. And uh, they named him Simeon because I think they, because of this passage, um, they can correct me if I'm wrong later, but I think so. Then Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph, and he said, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign, to be a picture, an image that, uh, that um, will be opposed and a sword that will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He's going to reveal the hearts of people. He's going to show who we really are. He's going to be a mirror that reveals the human heart. Jesus has that calling, and they, they return to Galilee on um, to their own town of Nazareth, this ordinary town with this little baby, and the boy grew up and became strong and filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. We're called to serve God. They both were called to serve God, but they both were called to serve God differently. Calling leads to comparison. You guys know this, right? Calling can lead to comparison. Check this out in Luke 5. It says, one day some people came to Jesus. You remember this? John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking and lazing around? John does it this way. Pharisees do it this way. But Jesus, you do it this way. That can't be right. But the amazing thing is both were serving God with distinctly different callings. I, have, I had a, bo- a dog named Bosley. Uh, he was a French bulldog, and I now have a dog named Whiskey, and he's a French bulldog. Um, Bosley was an amazing sleeper. Like, that dog could sleep. Like, he would rarely wake up, and if you did wake him up, like a kid comes running in crying, he'd go like this. <laughs> and then go back to snoring. <laughs> go back to snoring. <laughs> And he just had these big jowls, and he's this big beast. He's a French bulldog. And then now we have this other French bulldog, and his name's Whiskey. And uh, that dog was born to run. He runs like, I don't know, like a whippet in a body of a thin French bulldog. Like, ha, ha, ha. He scares people. Like, and my staff are probably like, yeah, he's a little too energetic. He was born for the field. He's a runner. Bosley was a sleeper. Which one, which one are they supposed to be? I don't know, but it, man, I'll tell you what, it was, it's amazing to watch Whiskey run. You're just like, that dog was born for this. And when you watched Bosley, you were like, that dog was born to sleep. <laughs> That's what he looked like. And you can have people that are designed for totally different things. The power, like people who are serving the powerless and people who are serving the powerful and, and God is using them both. And often we'll, we'll see somebody else different than us and we'll use that as a reason to, to separate or to condemn them. And sometimes we'll condemn people's callings 
when really it's a, it, it, it's a calling issue, not a character issue. We'll condemn them for their character. Like, they have this issue. Why are, why are you serving God in this way? And, and they're just called to do something different. That's okay. What if we learn to collaborate together? What would happen if you had a church filled with people with very different callings, different skills, different strengths, different passions, that said, we're going to collaborate together. We're going to serve each other. I think that would be incredible. So, John the Baptist, um, it says in uh, Luke 7, uh, Jesus says this, For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and, if, and you said, he has a demon. The son of man, he, Jesus is talking about himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, look, there's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax, of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is calling out the religious. He says, there's no pleasing you. You like to draw lines, but then the lines you draw and you, and you draw between people, and then you turn them against each other. You don't even care about any side. You just want everybody to lose except yourself. He's like, John came, and he disengaged with culture. That was his calling. He was in the desert. He ate locusts and honey. He was a weird, wild man, and he disengaged from society. He was a prophet that was speaking truth to power, and Jesus is like, I'm speaking truth through power. And, and you called him a demon because of his, his disengagement, the way, he, the way he was ministering. And then I'm like with people. People can belong as they believe with me. And I'm engaging in culture. And you say that I'm a drunk. He's a demon. I'm a drunk. Which, which is it? What should we do? There's no pleasing you. And you're trying to pick calling versus calling when we are called to serve each other. We're on the same team. I can't do what I'm supposed to do if John doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Do you guys see the message for the church today? Where churches are pitted against churches? Like, I hate that church because they do. Can you believe what they. Man, is it possible that churches are called to different things? And if we focus on what's dis, what the problem is and condemn each other, that we're not working together. What if, we, what if we started working together and, and, just, or, or, and at the very least just saying they're called to this? Isn't that beautiful? God doesn't want sameness. He, want, he doesn't want just uh, everything looking exactly the same. He wants uniqueness. Like a mosaic, all these different broken pieces put together for the beauty of God. The church is meant to be beautiful and the future of the church is beautiful. Um... John was called to withdraw and prepare for change and raise awareness, and he lived in the desert. Jesus was called to engage and catalyze change. Um, part of my family are plumbers. Some of them are pastors. Which is more important to God? Well, it depends on who you talk to. I remember one time my uncle, um, he must have, I was like five, four or five, and he had, must have taped the safety on the nail gun that he had, and he had me and my cousin who, he was like, my cousin was a year older than me, Duncan, and we were shooting nails across the driveway into these boards that he had set up. And we were like, choo, 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 thunk, 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 thunk. And we were like, this is amazing. And then the moms came out and they were like, what? And then we were like, oh no. My cousin was like, oh no. And my uncle's like, oh no. <laughs> you know? And I used to think, I was like, man, carpenters are so much cooler than pastors. It occurs to me that Jesus actually was a carpenter and a pastor. And man, whatever you're gifted in, do it for the glory of God. Pastors aren't more important than plumbers. Plumbers aren't more important than other people. 
We're all called into this thing. Let's work together. Amen? That's what we're called for. There's a point where calling led to major conflict. John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord Jesus asking, are you the one who's, who's to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who's the Messiah? Are you really the Lamb of God? Like, I, I put my reputation out there. I, I told everybody that you're the one. And, and at this point, John's in prison. And he's like, we were supposed to be taking the kingdom of God together. Like, I'm in prison. Like, and you're doing things way different than I would do them. Any of you guys have people in your life, you're like, I would do it different. Slash way better. <laughs> John's asking his cousin, Jesus, he's like, what in the world? Are you really who you see? There's conflict between them. But Christ always leads us through conflict of our callings to collaboration. Listen to this. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus replied to them, go and report to John. Go tell John this, what you have seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk Those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, like the poor are being taken care of in a society where the religion has pushed them down, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who isn't offended by my calling and the way I do things and what God has called me to do. And what he's saying is, John, we've partnered together in this. You set this up. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without what you have done. And I'm no, I know that you're, you don't want to be in prison. I know that you don't want it to be this way. But this is what God is doing through us. And look at the results of our, of our partnership, of our collaboration. Let's not be in conflict. Let's look at the collaboration. Deaf people can hear. Blind people can see. Lepers, are, people who are hurting are healed. Dead are being raised to life. The poor are being given good news. Lives are being transformed. Look at what our partnership has done. We're partners in the gospel. We're collaborators with Christ, are we not? Friends, that's what I want our church to be. That's, this is what the scriptures teach us. Every one of us, unique callings, gifts, strengths, weird ways of looking at the world, totally different points of view. And points of view are views from different points. That means you're gonna see different sides of the mountain, different ways of looking at things. God wants to use us together. What kind of transformation could occur, friends? if we weren't just trying to protect our kids from the world, but send our kids into the world to transform it? What if we weren't just a church telling what we shouldn't be doing and and begin telling what you were born to do? I think think we'd see a church that that not, not only sends people into their calling, but they serve each other's calling. Check this out. Um, I'm gonna gonna read this uh, quickly, but in Philippians... It talks about partnership. It says, Paul writes this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, I'm praying for the partnership we have. What is that partnership? How does that happen? How do we collaborate rather than have conflict together? There's enough conflict out in the world, right? Like church, we we need to be unified together. Now, Philippians 2 gives the answer. What, how do we do this? How do we partner and collaborate. Uh, If you have your Bible out, 
Philippians 2, 3 through 4, underline this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing out of selfishness or vanity. Rather, here's the key, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Church, what happens if you have a group of individuals who come together on a Sunday and say, I'm going to value others above myself? Goes on to say, each of you look, um, excuse me, but not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Not just serving your own interests, but serving the interests and callings of others. What does a church look like that's serving the callings of its people? That you've, you are lifting others up and say, I, I might not have that gift. I might not have that calling. I might not even do it that way, but we're partners here. How can we do this together? You might be a prophet. I might be an evangelist. You might be someone who's like real grace-oriented. I'm truth-oriented. Let's work together. There's some marriages based on that here today. Amen? You got some grace-givers and truth-tellers. So here, if you have your notes, I'm going to give this to you. This is the notes. A Jesus community calls out calling. It sees and says the callings of people. Jesus' community confirms calling. You don't just say, well, this is who I am, but you, you, you are in community and have people confirm your calling. And so our job is to encourage people, not discourage them, to confirm what we see, the goodness in people, the calling in people. A Jesus community celebrates calling. We're not just ho-hum, or that's different. We don't just like talk about the problems with other people's calling, but we celebrate them. That means educators, uh, healthcare, um, nonprofit, whatever you might be, um, homemakers and family builders and pastors. None of us are more important than the other, but we celebrate each other and our differences. Amen? A Jesus community um, cultivates calling. It gardens it. It serves the calling of others, and then sends the calling into the world. A Jesus community collaborates with calling. We partner. We're different, and we partner together. Um, I want to close with this story. Um, It's about the brothers Baki. There were three brothers. Um, One of them uh, goes to our church. His name is Lowell. Um, These three brothers were born in Whatcom County to immigrant parents who are Norwegian, and they uh, didn't have a lot of money, but their parents stewarded their calling. The first two brothers, Ray and Dennis, like ended up finding their calling and being extremely successful in what they did. Uh, Ray, the firstborn, became what was known as like the, he, he was called the urban prophet. He's, he wrote books, he was able to teach and cast vision for a new way of doing mission that is, has radically changed uh, Christian churches and mission in in America and globally. Um, Established a graduate school, um, wrote many texts, and he has connected people globally in churches that were never connected before. Did amazing things. The other brother, his name was Dennis, and he became uh, called the... uh, the, the evangelist for business. He ended up uh, starting and owning a business that became, the th- I think it was the third biggest energy um, company in, Amer- in, in the world. I think it was right behind France. It was amazing what they did, but they had strong opinions and they didn't always get along. 
And there was a moment where Lowell, who was called uh, to be a, a pastor of just a local church, he actually um, was a pastor of Bethany Baptist. My dad's a pastor there now, but before my dad, he was pastor when they were down here in the valley. And Bethany actually helped plant Whitewater. Um, and he was a part of like this movement in the, our area. But when he was, um, when his dad was dying, his dad pulled him in and he said this to me, he said, son, Ray isn't listening to Dennis and Dennis isn't listening to Ray. Could you help your brothers listen to, to each other and work together? And, um, and um, Lowell, he, he said this, <laughs> this quote that really stood out to me. He said, um, how was I to get my brothers to listen to each other? You know, one was a Democrat, one was a Republican. Uh, one served the powerless, one served the powerful, and Lowell's calling was to give power away. So they all were very different. He said, the only way to fulfill my father's deathbed assignment to get Ray to genuinely listen to Dennis and Dennis to humbly listen to Ray about business and mission is, was only possible if I could intentionally listen to both of them myself. Lowell served the calling of his brothers so that they could work together. His brothers eventually came together and formed what was called the, um, the Mustard Seed Foundation. Have any of you guys ever heard of that? Here, the Mustard Seed Foundation uh, over the last 35 years has given away $100 million um, for kingdom purposes. The average grant that they give is $4,000 and they, the vast majority of grants are for local, small, often urban churches working in small but creative holistic outreaches around the world. I mean like Southeast Asia, Africa, um, North America, all over. He, here's what Lowell said. He said, don't focus on the amount but on the courage and the grace of the churches around the world who had to, had to match the grant, not only with funds, but the hours, if not years of time running the ministries that the grants helped to initiate. If you would, I want you to watch this, this short video of, of Lowell just describing this. Go ahead and look at this. I, th- I think it's important to, to understand that if, if there's a passion for a parent to have their kids know the Lord, then there must be a passion for that parent to say they're there not for themselves, but for the Lord. My brother Ray was called to the powerless of a city. My brother Dennis was called to the powerful of business. And they were totally different callings. And was there conflict? Absolutely. Dennis worked in the White House and Ray picketed the White House while Dennis was there. I mean, that was, that was a, the main thing. So there's conflict. Just as Jesus and John the Baptist had conflict in there, there was a disagreement on how and who and are you really who you think you are. But as they worked through that, they formed the Mustard Seed Foundation and out of that foundation, they were able to to go to the world uh, together even though they were totally different. So as a parent, We often want people to love Jesus, but we often stand in the way of them doing everything for Jesus rather than for mom and dad. And that is where sending comes into into it. If I can understand that a child is called by God, somebody has to send them to that calling. Do you send children to school with intention? 
Do you help them serve in their school? Do you find them having ability in athletics or ability in music or ability, whatever that, that capacity is? Are you figuring ways in which they can be sent to do, use that ability for the glory of God? That is where it starts. Then, how do we send them? Are we excited about sending someone into a business school as we are into a Bible school? Are we willing to support the business school student as much as we support the Bible school student? And so if you can start as an infant and begin to think of them as a, a stewardship responsibility that we have to get them to know and love their Savior so that they can be sent by God and us to where God is calling them to go, to what God has called them to do, to wherever it might be, it's amazing what that school, that, that church will look like. It will be a 24-7 sending agency. And the church should be doing that in partnership with the parents. Amen. Could you imagine with me our church linked arm in arm with other churches and our responsibility is to serve each other's callings and send each other into the world of our callings. That's releasing the reservoir as a river of blessing. Amen? Let's be that church, friends. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I just today, I want to commit our church as a gathered and scattered church. We are a serving and sending church. We bless people, Lord, because we have been blessed by you. Lord, I pray that we would help each other find our callings, be, be um, encouraged in our callings, um, uh, resource others in their calling so that they can be sent to be effective. God, I think the church could be leading in the fields of healthcare and education and business and government, nonprofits, all around. Lord, in, in leading in the, the world and how we, we build families, Lord, I, I pray that our church would have a vision for that and that we would step into that together. God, as we move to the new place, would you continue the legacy of transformation? In Jesus' name, amen.